from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. We're wrapping up the week really strong here. A lot of interesting developments tonight, and we're going to get to all of them. Our phone number, if you want to uh, join the conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, some interesting stuff going on tonight. We have uh, some developments on... Somebody I like to call Funny Willis, right? Funny Willis is now the the um, prosecutor that brought the case against Trump in Georgia. Well, the Senate in the state of Georgia has decided that they're going to investigate her for improperly using funds and hiring her lover to investigate Trump and bring the charges against him. You can't make this stuff up. It gets better. Uh, and we talked about this when it happened, uh, but now there's an investigation into her. The, the, um, the boyfriend... He um, he doesn't have any experience in criminal uh, cases. He's not a criminal lawyer. And that's also very interesting, I think, that you would use somebody with no experience to, to bring a case of such magnitude, uh, of such precedent, right? How, how many people do you know? How many lawyers do you know that have brought cases against former presidents? It's a handful, right? And if they did, it was against Clinton, right? That's not a thing that happens. And these weren't criminal cases, right? Uh, <laughs> Clinton only had some uh, some civil stuff going on. So, yeah, the answer is nobody. Nobody's bringing those types of cases, uh, RICO cases against the former president, except for this guy who'd never brought a criminal case in his life. So that was interesting. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a jury that is now ordering uh, former President Trump to pay $83.3 million in damages to E. Jean Carroll in a defamation case. We're going to talk about that as well. Plus, I want to get into some other stuff. What is going on with faith in America? Uh, I feel like people are losing hope. And I don't know if that's true or not, but we're going to talk to somebody who's plugged into this stuff because there's a new study from the Pew Research Center uh, that's found that Americans are continually identifying as none when it comes to religion, meaning they are atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. Again, that's according to a uh, study from the Pew Research Center. So we'll talk about that as well. Plus, there's a new warning from the FBI. The FBI is now sounding the alarm, uh, saying that there is an increase of 700% in what they call sexual extortion, or uh, the contraction of that word, sextortion. It's an interesting uh, concept, and uh, they're doing it online. So we're going to talk about that. It's up 700% in the last three years. And we also want to get a live report. Uh, we've got somebody on the ground, a photographer that's on the ground in Israel. And uh, we're going to get an update on that because it's been a very, very difficult week, a very deadly week for the IDF. And uh, there's actually a, a group of 25 Americans that are in Israel. And uh, we're going to get a report on that. Uh, and that's uh, a little bit later on. So those are some of the things that I want to talk about tonight. <clears throat> but right now, I want to talk about a very interesting story that I saw, I think, yesterday. 
and evening time, or it might have been this morning. I, I never really know the day and time anymore because of working these hours. But I can tell you this. I saw it and I said, man, that's interesting. I wonder how that's going to play out. The United Nations, right, um, they, um, they had some money that was held back by the United States Department of State. They put a pause on some funding to them because some of their employees allegedly participated in the attack on Israel. And that's why they said, you know what, while, while we figure this out, we're going to pause the funding on this. Well, it turns out, right, and this was, uh, again, the, the initial, the Commissioner General of the UN Relief uh, and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, which is near, um, in what they call it the Near East uh, region, announced that it was suspending the alleged participants and launching an investigation because several of their employees have now shared evidence that they participated in the October 7th terrorist attacks. Look at that. So these guys are terrorists working for the UN and they have been suspended. (laughs) So the United States suspends funding to um, the UN, which is employing these terrorists and they just get suspended. They don't get arrested or anything like that. I I find this remarkable, but that's what's going on here. Right. And and the, the, the statement they put out is any employee of ours who was involved in acts of terror will be held accountable including through criminal prosecution. Oh, yeah, well, let's see it happen. Uh, that's, again, Commissioner General Philippe Lazzarini. Um, he, he went on to say that uh, he you know, can't condemn them in the strongest terms possible, that this is abhorrent. The attacks of October 7th um, were, were horrible, and they call for the immediate unconditional release of all Israeli hostages and their safe return to their families. Now, after the announcement, the United States uh, State Department said it would temporarily pause all additional funding to the agency while it investigates and called on the U.N. to probe this uh, agency of theirs, according to the statement. Uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, spoke with U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez on uh, January 25th, which is yesterday, to uh, work through the matter in the investigation saying, we welcome the decision to uh, conduct such an investigation and Secretary Gutierrez's pledge to take uh, decisive action to respond should the allegations prove accurate. Isn't that nice? I I just like to think, you know, imagine if somebody else was, you know, found uh, with evidence of terrorism. You know, we just, all right, let's hang on. Let's, you know, let's figure this out. Is that really how we do things? And I'm not saying we should do away with due process. I'm just saying, I mean, they they make it seem so, so like, you know, we're going to look into it. What? I mean, I think we need to take things a little bit more seriously than that. People need to know that, they're, that these people are taking this seriously and that they're doing what has to be done. I, I don't feel inspired by this. If anything, I feel like, like a big pendejo, right? Because I feel like my tax dollars go to our federal government and our federal government thinks that we should be paying the U.N. Again, one more reason to miss Trump. Trump was uh, right on the money when he said, let's stop funding the U.N. Good idea. Should have done it. Anyway, um, in uh, 2021... The um, well, before even that, listen to this. Uh, this organization within the UN, the UNRWA, has been criticized in the past over their anti Israeli and anti Semitic material contained in their education materials, which are distributed in Palestinian schools. So, look at that it's the UN that's funding the anti Israel, anti Semitic hatred that you see being played out. And then you get some of the guests that come on this program saying that the Israelis have to stop killing women and children, which I didn't even know was a thing. 
<laughs> I can't remember the last time uh, I, I've seen uh, any army go out and I haven't seen Putin do this. I've never seen any army go out and say, we're going to kill women and children. I did see Hamas do that, including infants. And that's what they did on October 7th. I just find it so interesting. Anyway, in 2021, uh, the uh, German newspaper Bild, they reported incidents of anti-Israel and anti-Jewish content from UNRWA, their educators, including praise of Hitler and in educational materials, including an in-class exercise that labeled a Jewish bus attacked by Palestinian arsonists a barbecue. So they're not only uh, pro-Hitler, but they are trivializing the murder of Jews. An internal U.N. audit of the organization found that it was susceptible to misappropriation, graft, and corruption. (laughs) Why do we give them money? Shouldn't that be enough reason to temporarily pause what's going on? Absolutely crazy. Anyway, back in 2018, the Trump administration ended funding for UNRWA. Over these and other concerns, President Biden resumed funding shortly after taking office and sent nearly $730 million dollars to the UNRWA. Thank you, Joe El Baboso Biden. Bidenomics working yet again for the American people, working for the American taxpayer, and definitely working for Hamas. You can't make this stuff up. If it were comedy, I'd say it writes itself, but it's sad. It's sad, and it's got it's to come to an end. This is ridiculous. Foreign aid is the end of us, and it's got to end. Anyway, uh, I invite you guys to call in. We're going to talk about those topics that I mentioned. Again, uh, we're going to talk about Funny Willis, E. Jean Carroll, the Trump case. Uh, what's going on with faith in America? Are we losing faith? Are we creating more atheists than anything else? All of that's coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I have sat on trial after trial for months in this state, the state of New York. Attorney General Letitia James, and now this. Weeks. Weeks. Why? Because President Trump is leading in the polls, and now we see what you get in New York. This is wrong, but we are in the state of New York. We are in a New York jury, and that is why we are seeing these witch hunts, these hoaxes, as he calls them. And this is another one of them. Be brought in New York, in states where they know they will get juries like this. Of course, that is the attorney for President Trump, Alina Haba. She's been on our program several times, and uh, she's out there uh, telling the press how it is. And this is in response to a jury coming up with a verdict that Trump has to pay an additional $83.3 million to E. Jean Carroll in this defamation case for defaming her character. Crazy. You would think she's defaming his character. Uh, But that is, in fact, the case. And I want to get to the bottom of that. I also want to talk a little bit about Funny Willis. I call her Funny Willis. She's the prosecutor who hired her boyfriend to go after Trump, paid him, I think, $674,000 to a guy who's never even brought a criminal uh, case before. And fascinating stories to both of them. I want to bring in uh, one of our favorite legal experts, Doug Burns, former chief of the criminal division uh, in New York. And uh, he's been an attorney for three decades easy 
Um, Doug Burns, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. So, Doug Burns, um, I know I heard this that I, you know, I didn't fall off my chair, but figuratively I did. What was your reaction? Well, an hour before it happened, um, you know, I said on a media segment that, you know, I was expecting a Giuliani uh, type verdict. I'll call it 50 million, which was the number I used. And then lo and behold, I'm out on the street, you know, working my way home. I look on my phone, alert, 83 million. So it's a preposterous verdict. Um, the amount of damages is completely absurd. Um, you know, the ability of human beings to rationalize is absolutely fascinating because if you use the Professor Dershowitz test, what he calls the shoe on the other foot, if, if the comments that President Trump made were made by somebody on the approved list, Rich, of the elites and the political class and the ruling class, they would look you right in the face and they say, what are you kidding me? The man was simply denying that he did anything wrong and he's allowed to deny it and the First Amendment protects it and on and on and on and on. So here, President Trump, and let's be fair, using language that he probably shouldn't have used, but that's really irrelevant to defamation. Um, but the point is, he was denying that this took place. After all, it's more than 30 years ago. I mean, let everybody process that for a second. Um, you have, again, one of these Fred Astaire twisting into contortions to, you know, revive and eliminate statutes of limitation, which are designed to put an end to things, you know, that happened 30 years ago. And then you go in. Judge Kaplan really surprised me, I've got to be honest with you, because I was in two cases with him myself. One was an art case, a dispute over 11 valuable paintings between an art manager and the painter himself. And then I was in a criminal case, fairly straightforward day-to-day criminal case in front of Judge Kaplan, and he was perfectly fine. But here, I mean, the derangement, you know, both he and Judge Engeron really surprises me as a 30-plus year veteran of litigating cases in those courts myself. And it's just unbelievable to watch these science fiction type verdicts. You know, the Giuliani one was pure science fiction. I'm not expressing an opinion, by the way, as to whether he was right or wrong. I'm just saying that the amount involved was completely absurd. Judge Howell should be ashamed of herself, Beryl Howell, um, the way she treated Giuliani. And same thing here. And it's just, it's very, very troubling. Um, but now let me give the good news for everybody. Yeah. This case is going to be appealed to a very prestigious court, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which handles all appeals from New York, Connecticut, and Vermont, from all the federal district courts. They're going to undoubtedly cut the punitive damages part way, way, way back, Rich, and may even reverse the whole thing because, you know, this was just hysterical. You cannot answer these questions. The lawyer has to show me the questions she's going to ask you. I mean, this was Judge Kaplan. I mean, it was insane. Wouldn't let him go to his mother-in-law's funeral? Are you kidding me? I've never seen that in 35 years. So I think he's got a good shot on appeal. We'll see. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I thought the same thing. Um, I mean, not all okay. that brilliant legal analysis. I just thought oh, it was crazy yeah. that they told him that he couldn't go to the thing. I'm, I think it's no, crazy it's insane, that... Yeah. They said originally five million bucks. Now they're saying eighty-three million. How do you come up with these? Who the heck is E. Jean Carroll that her character's so defamed? It just it, the whole thing blows me away. Uh, she says the guy raped me. 
then, okay, that's not the case, right? It's kind of proven that that didn't happen, but yet somehow he defamed her. I think the whole thing is kind of crazy. And the way they come up with these astronomical figures as if it's not designed just to be punitive. It seems like it's designed to, to be fatal, right? To try and destroy a person. And I think this, that's not cool. Now, Doug Burns, in the couple of minutes we have left in this segment, I want you to give me the skinny on Funny Willis. Funny Willis, um, the prosecutor in Georgia, her own state Senate has now convened and said, we're opening a formal investigation into you because this doesn't look accurate. What's the story there? On her part, and then there are two legal ways to analyze it, So, and I'll make it quick. Um, the two aspects of her behavior are, number one, if she hired somebody she was in a romantic relationship with, right away that's a potential and indeed an actual conflict of interest. The argument is she hired him because of the relationship and not because of his credentials. The back part of that is that he's never tried a felony criminal case. I'm not knocking his legal skills, by the way, just doesn't have him in this particular area. Apparently he practices personal injury. Um, So that's a big, big problem, conflict of interest. Second problem, much worse, is this notion of money, you know, being utilized, public money that she paid this individual, you know, to go on lavish vacations. I want to be fair there. It's a little bit hard to prove in a courtroom as opposed to, you know, in the media that he used that money, quote unquote, after all, it was a law firm that was paid. And then, you know, it goes into the law firm pot and all that. But with this investigation now on the horizon, Rich, could very, very well be that, um, you know, he wrote her checks, hypothetically. I'm not saying I've seen evidence of that, but you never know. Now, on the legal landscape, real quick, there's two things, and they're a little bit apples and oranges, so let me break it out. Apples is she could easily be removed from this case, in my opinion. We'll see what happens as a hearing on February 15th. Um, she really should recuse herself and step aside, but we know that won't happen because she's just hell-bent on getting Trump, as we all know. And then the other part where I want to be fair also is because people are so amped up politically, you know, there's been a lot of chatter. You know, they must dismiss the whole case. But that's also a bit over the skis in fairness, because if the indictment, you know, can withstand some independent scrutiny. I mean, I feel that the RICO charge was ridiculous and way over the top, but the reality is I'm not so sure that it'll be dismissed. So that's my breakdown of what's going on. And, And the hearing on Feb 15th is going to be big, Rich. Doug Burns, always a pleasure, my brother. Thank you. Guys, follow him at Doug Burns Law on Twitter. Doug Burns, we'll see you on TV, and we'll hear you on the radio real soon. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Is America losing its faith? Are we becoming godless? Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? 
Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back, amigos. Now, listen to this, familia. This is a good one. Uh, Americans are continually identifying as none when it comes to religion, meaning they're atheists or agnostics or nothing in particular. And that's according to a new study from the Pew Research Center. About 28% of U.S. adults are religiously unaffiliated, according to the National Public Opinion Reference Survey, and that's conducted annually by the Pew Research Center. It's the second largest religious group in the survey, after 40%, right, um, which is Protestants and 20% are Catholics. Now, millions of people have stopped going to church during the pandemic, and they simply never came back. And listen, I can tell you, I, I'm part of that trend. Um, I still go to church um, maybe one to three weekends. It kind of fluctuates uh, per month. And I can tell you that the attendance is still down, at least in my church. And because a lot of people, um, especially the older people, they're just if, – if it's cold and flu season and people are coughing, they're like, no, thank you. We're not going to uh, be around sick people. And if it's um, a, a different way, they uh, just don't show up because they can stream it online. And it's just – it's fascinating to see this trend. But does that equate to godlessness? Does that mean that more and more people are atheists? Now, I'm going to venture to say it pro- probably both are true. But I want to get with somebody who's on the forefront of this every day. He's a senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. Uh, you see him on Fox News. He's been on our program before. And I want to welcome him back, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Welcome, sir. Rich, great to be back with you. Thanks for having you me. You bet. You bet. And – I um I want to get your perspective on this because you're I think you're just uh, terrific at explaining difficult concepts when it comes to the issue of faith. It's not always an easy one to understand, and uh, I think it's alarming that we see these trends where people are less and less because we see it coming out of Europe, right? There was a study uh, or a yeah. survey that came out last year about Europe saying it was like more than half of people are not Christians in Europe anymore, and that's the first time ever in history that's ever been that way. And I thought, wow. I wonder what happened if that happens here. And I think we're approaching that. We're seeing what it looks like, right? We're becoming Sodom and Gomorrah daily more and more. Uh, what say you? Well, I, mean, I think overall, certainly our country's becoming less and less uh, faith-oriented and more secular. I think, Rich, these numbers may be overstated just a little bit. And this is what I mean. You know, 50 or 60 years ago in our country, uh, yeah. It was thought that to be a good uh, person, you had to go to church. You had to be in God. And, you know, only uh, child molesters and drug dealers were atheists. I think there are a lot of people who answered the question, yes, they were Christians, or yes, they went to church, when in fact they didn't. They wanted to be culturally acceptable. But now we've gotten away from that cultural Christianity in the sense that people don't think you have to claim to be a Christian to be a good person. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying a lot of people think that, and they feel more free sharing what they really believe or don't believe. So I think uh, there have been a lot of atheists out there, 
in the past they just hadn't fessed up. And I think they're doing so now that they feel more comfortable doing so. I think that's part of it. But I think there's a general spiritual decline. Parents are failing to pass on to their faith to their children. And uh, I think you're seeing uh, that slide start. And the pandemic certainly didn't help. So now let's talk about this uh, because, uh, and before we get into the pandemic, I just want to talk about, you just mentioned something I think is important, uh, which is you said um, parents are failing to share their their faith faith and pass on their faith, right, to to the next generation. This is, I'm I'm, I'm the son of, uh, of, you know, my parents are both born in Puerto Rico. Um, That is a... like sacrilege, right? In, in, in our culture. And I just think even if you, you, you could be like, I'm an atheist, they would smack you and be like, you're still going to church, right? That's just how we were brought up. And, and I feel like, um, th- that's definitely been lost. And the, the question I have is why, why, why has that happened? Not only in, with Hispanic families, but it seems with families all over the place. Is it the infiltration of culture? Is it, uh, the infiltration of, of secularism in the church? Um, I'm not sure the answer. What do you think? It's all of the above. I mean, I think, you know, somebody said every culture is only one generation away from barbarism. And if we don't pass on our Christian values to our children, the result is chaos. You know, uh, where there is no God, everything is possible, Dostoyevsky said. And I think that's why you're seeing just all of this transgenderism and cheering on of Palestinians who are decapitating babies. I mean, there is no moral compass, no moral absolute based in the Bible uh, for which people to govern their lives, and they're certainly not passing it on to their children. So I think that's the root of what uh, ails America. Look, I believe, Rich, there's history that shows America was founded as a Christian nation. It doesn't mean that all of our founders were Christians, but most of them were. The Supreme Court said repeatedly in the 1800s that America is a Christian nation. I think, though, that even though our founders started that way, uh, people started to try to live off the morals rather than the spirituality that backed up those morals. People became more moralistic than having a personal relationship with God, and I think it's split into what it is today, and that is really uh, practical atheism. You know, that's a really good point, I think, that you bring up. A really good point. It's a scary one, but it's a good one. And uh, in that vein, do you feel that it's, again, just this abandonment of, of people and, and allowing things to seep into the church, and maybe some of the church is not taking their, their roles so seriously? Uh, I've heard the argument that some are saying it's a, it's a failure to preach uh, fire and brimstone and that sin is bad and there's too much of this forgiveness stuff yeah. and this gospel of grace. And then, you know, everybody's like, oh, I might as well. I'm forgiven already. <laughs> and nobody's striving well, towards holiness. You know, Jesus said to Christians, you are the salt of the earth. The church, collection of Christians are to be salt. They are to uh, flavor. They are to be distinctive from the culture around them. And Jesus went on to say, if salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless and ought to be cast out. You know, the idea of the church is the church ought to be influencing the world. Unfortunately, the world is what is influencing the church. And when Christians see what they're hearing in church no different than what they're hearing on MSNBC or CNN or at the local book club, they why get up and bother to go to church if it's like what I'm hearing six days of the week every place else? But the church is to be distinctive, and I think the loss of its distinctiveness, the loss of its reliance on the Bible as its final guide for faith and practice, 
is what's causing a lot of people uh, to leave the church. You know, somebody described modern preaching as mild mild mannered men preaching mild mannered sermons, teaching people how to be more mild mannered, and nobody wants to get up and go to that. Yeah, no milk toast for me, uh, folks. We're on with Doctor Robert Jeffress. He is. Uh, an authority, honestly, uh, on this stuff, and he is the uh, pastor at the the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas. Uh, you see him on Fox News on television, and you've heard him on this program before. He's absolutely uh, insightful on this, and we're going to continue talking about uh, the church post COVID when we return. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And um, we have a caller. I can't see who it is, so maybe they'll tell me the name. Donato in Wilmington, Delaware, listening on WDEL. You're on with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello, gentlemen. It's nice to hear you and and jump in tonight. Thank you. Likewise. Um, I am a product of uh, 12 years of, of Catholic school. Um, son of Italian immigrants, and um, my own my own children, I, I sacrificed to, to have them attend um, the same high school I went to, which is a special kind of thing. And I've seen the enrollments, at least in the, the Northeast, the old cities of the Northeast, Philly, Baltimore, Wilmington, Delaware, etc., uh, a very sharp decline over the years. Many of the grade schools have closed um, over the years, and couple of the high schools have closed and I happen to also be a public school teacher for 27 years mm. and I have you know I have a light you know a little bit of a foot in both worlds as a public school teacher I certainly you know understand the separation of the right. church and state for lack of a better thing and, and then of course in my personal life I choose uh, for my children my wife and I have always believed and we were she was a 12-year Catholic school girl herself so we believe that there's still merit and, and you know, uh, value in, in that. But I have noticed a steep decline um, in the, the Catholic school enrollments. Um, yeah. Some of it might be financial, you know, it's, I'm sure, the financial piece. But, you know, also it's just some, some people just uh, don't see the value. And I, I think that that le- kind of leads into, into your discussion as well. I, I think you're right, Donato. The um, the fact that you're seeing Catholic school enrollment go down. Uh, I, I when I, I met uh, Dr. Jeffress, I don't know five, six, seven years ago um, at Pillar College. I was um, in charge of institutional outreach there and marketing, and he came in and gave a great speech on one of our um, clergy appreciation days. 
And I can tell you, even then, you know, we'd seen enrollment decline in, in Christian colleges and Christian schools and Catholic schools. I've seen Catholic schools shuddering. And it's it's a shame. And again, I'm, I'm in the New York, New Jersey area. So, um, Pastor Jeffers, when, when you hear this coming from Delaware, coming from me in New Jersey, yourself in Texas, um, is this financial? Is this uh, a culture? Or are we in the end times? Well, I think it's all of, uh, all three of these things. And, uh, you know, by the way, you mentioned the end times, as you know, my new book, Are We Living in the End Times? Absolutely. Jesus, pre- Jesus predicted all of this was going to happen. I mean, the reason I'm not wringing my hands over what we're talking about is Jesus predicted that in the end times, there would be a great falling away, a great apostasy from the faith. And all things, all these things are happening according to God's schedule. The power of Christianity is not in numbers, but it's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 7, Jesus said, the road that leads to eternal life is a narrow road. Few are those who find it. And people say, doesn't it discourage you as a pastor that so many people don't embrace faith? Well, I wish they would. I wish they would escape separation from God. But the fact is, Jesus taught that very few in the end will end up being saved. Well, and I think that's an excellent segue to talk about the book. And the new book, again, is Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. Uh, Pastor, tell us uh, about this book. Um, What was the impetus for you to write this particular book? Well, it all started on October the 7th. You know, Rich, most books take a year and a half to two years from inception to writing to publication. We did it in four weeks because so many who watched us on radio and television were wondering, is this a sign of the end times, Hamas invading Israel? And certainly Israel's persecution is one of the things that the Scripture talks about. But I started talking about in my book, decide to answer seven questions that people are asking about the end times. And look, Jesus said in Matthew 24, nobody knows the hour of the day. We're not to try to set the date, but that means we need to be ready at all times. And I believe that uh, the fact is the return of Jesus Christ is getting closer with every passing day. The signs that Jesus talked about, about earthquakes, pandemics, wars, and rumors of wars, we're seeing these things like the labor pains of mother fields increase in frequency and in intensity. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, when you see these things in the world start to happen more often and more intensely, get ready. His coming is soon. Wow. Folks, we're on with Dr. Robert Jefferson. He's with us for another couple of minutes. We're going to continue discussing his new book. And I recommend always getting two copies, right? You get one for yourself, one to give away. Uh, This will definitely benefit somebody else. Are we living in the end times? Biblical answers to seven questions about the future. Uh, Dr. Jeffers, stick with us. Folks, we're coming right back. And of course, you're welcome to join the conversation. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. at night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, we're on with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. You've seen him on television. You've heard him on this program before. 
He's a prolific author. He's got a brand new book, Are We Living in the End Times? And Dr. Jeffers, we're talking about, um, in, I'm, I'm giving the admonition to everybody to get two copies of this book in the minutes that we have left. I'd like you to uh, continue explaining why they should get the book. Well, because uh, the end is coming one way or the other. Uh, you know, 40% of Americans, Christians and non-Christians alike, believe we're living in the end times. There's just something instinctively rich people have to know that things can't continue the way they are forever and ever. And as Christians, we know the end involves the return of Jesus Christ. I have to tell you a funny story. One of my earliest and best friends at Fox News was the late Alan Combs. He was kind of the resident liberal at Fox yeah, News. He was great. And uh, he used to have me on his program all the time. And one night he said, Pastor, do you believe you'll be alive to see the return of Jesus Christ? Alan was Jewish. And I said, well, I don't know, Alan, but it really doesn't matter. He said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? I said, well, I'm 58 years old, and I know in the next 30 years, one of two things is going to happen. Either Christ is coming or I'm going, but the end <laughs> is near for me, and it's in, near for you as well. And the most important thing is to be ready. And that's what the theme of my book, Rich, is. We are living in the end times, whether it's the end of the age or the end of our lives. And the most important thing is to be in a right relationship with God so we're ready to meet him. Outstanding. Folks, the book is Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. And I don't know if you answered this question in the book, um, Doc, but I will ask you this. Do you think we're going through a phase, kind of like the terrible twos or the rebellious teenage years, um, in, in so much as America dealing with this transgender issue? where, you know, this was once a very small thing, now, and it's still a very, relatively small thing, but it, it seems like it's, it's becoming more popular everywhere you turn because children are looking to feel like they belong to something, and some join gangs, and some say, I'm non-binary, or I'm part of this new rainbow coalition. And I, I feel, I, my gut tells me things might get worse, but eventually they get better because it's, it's, a, it's a fad, it's a trend. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. What say you? Well, I don't think I don't think there's any history of a nation that has gone as far as we have away from God ever returning to God. There mm -hmm. may be, including the by the way, the nation of Israel. Look, to try to change gender is the basic rebellion against God. Jesus said in Matthew nineteen, God is the one who makes them male and female. And not to accept your gender and to believe God made a mistake is the ultimate rebellion. And so I don't have a lot of hope short term. I've got a lot of hope long-term because Christ is mm. coming back again. Amen to that. I, I hear that. Folks, uh, you can uh, learn more about what's going on with uh, Pastor Jeffers at his website. I have firstdallas.org. Is that the best place to go, or is there a better website for the book? Or our Pathway to Victory radio and television website is ptv.org, and you can download all of my messages from Are We Living in the End Times free of charge. Outstanding. Folks, get a copy, get two copies, one for yourself, one to give to a friend of the brand new book, Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future by uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's senior pastor at the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Uh, Dr. Jeffress, uh, of course, I want to thank you for your time staying up late and having that extra cup of coffee to, to brave the, 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 the hours here. Uh, but you are a, a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I, I really uh, appreciate you being here with us. Good luck with the book. 
Thanks so much, Rich. It's always great to be with you. You bet. All right, folks, we continue our conversation straight ahead, and it's going to get dicey. We've got somebody on the ground in Israel, uh, a photographer who is there and is going to be giving us a live report, presuming we can get them on the phone and that that's not an issue. So keep it locked right here. Hour number two is coming up, and we continue the conversation. Don't go anywhere, folks. I am Rich Valdez, and you're listening to This is America at Night. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and happy to be with you this second hour of the program. And if you want to join us, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, some of the big headlines right now, Trump was uh, ordered by a jury today to pay more than $83 million dollars to uh, the crackpot E. Jean Carroll. She says that he defamed her after she made all these false allegations against him. Go figure. Uh, Biden's third year approval rating is coming and it seems like it's going to be the worst since Jimmy Carter. Uh, Speaker Johnson says the Senate border deal is dead on arrival in the House. And there's another story here uh, about the United Nations. I talked about it at the top of the hour that uh, relief workers, you, uh, United Nations Relief and Works Administration, UNRWA, has now fired some employees because they participated, allegedly participated, in the October 7th terror attack. Uh, we talked about that. We'll get more into that at the top of the next hour. But there's a story that I just saw come across here. And this is it right here. It's, uh, uh, and again, this is an allegation. I, I don't know this to be true in any way. But the uh, founder of... WWE World Wrestling Entertainment, Vince McMahon, is being um, accused of sex trafficking. Those are the allegations. He has resigned. Um, it's very interesting, right? They're saying that he uh, had an, a, a relationship with a woman. But this woman is alleging that he had a relationship with her and that there were um, some, you know, dirty pictures taken and that he was using the pictures as leverage. And I said, my goodness, this is kind of crazy what's going on here, right? Now, McMahon has denied the allegations, and he says that he's prepared to defend himself in court, uh, but he also says that he has resigned. Out of respect for the WWE universe, the uh, extraordinary TKO business and its board members and shareholders, partners and constituents, and all of the employees and superstars who helped make the WWE into the global leader that it is today, I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors effective immediately. 
uh, reports that McMahon has paid out settlements to multiple women while serving as WWE CEO and chairman have been circulating uh, since 2022. But the lawsuit filed by uh, Ms. Grant uh, yesterday sheds new light on the extent of what she was alleging, uh, that there was a relationship that was held in exchange for sex and so she could keep a job. Again, I don't know any of this to be true, but it's interesting. And I think it, it comes at a time where we're seeing, you know, a warning come about from uh, the uh, Atlanta FBI office issuing a warning. And they're saying, look, uh, online uh, sexual extortion, what they're calling sextortion of minors, has been reported at a 700 percent increase over the last three years. And that to me is alarming. So I said, you know what? We got to get with somebody who knows exactly what's going on with this stuff. None other than a former FBI agent and retired Navy SEAL. He's also the host of uh, the Experts podcast. He's the author of Sheep No More, and he's our guest right now. Welcome back, Jonathan Gillum. Good to be with you, my friend. It's a crazy yes, world sir. we're living in. It really is. So let's talk about this. Uh, help everybody that's listening understand what is sextortion? Well, I think that a lot of that depends on uh, who you're asking and the the legal definition. You know, here's the problem with the way that the Bureau works now, not just the Bureau, but law enforcement in general, is that a lot of these these different laws or, that are being broken or that they're that are coming down are occurring at a time when uh, the laws are actually being created. And now with, with sextortion, um, it goes right along with other cyber type of crimes that, uh, where people are using, uh, computer, uh, internet, um, talking people into, uh, sending them pictures, things like that. And then, using that to get them to do certain things. It's, it's extortion, but using the computer um, and uh, the photographs of people, or in certain cases, it could be where they're using AI um, to uh, coerce, uh, particularly a minor, um, to, uh, to actually send the explicit stuff. So in certain cases, it could be where um, they actually have a conversation with them, get them to send stuff, or it could be where they coerce them. I think the actual crime of sextortion comes from uh, actually coercing the minor uh, to create and send sexually explicit images or videos. Now, I guess I have a two-part question here. One, why is there such a uptick in this? And B, why is it the Atlanta office that's reporting this, not like the, the main office in, in Washington? Well, I don't know. I, I can't tell you again with the FBI. I never know why one office, field office, is doing something that uh, that the that headquarters. It wouldn't be necessarily a Washington field office; it would be headquarters. Right. And you got to remember they're different. There, um, a lot of people confuse the two. But there's actually right. Quantico, a Washington right? field office. Uh, well, no, the Quantico is where the training happens. And then there's the the actual well, FBI. The J. Edgar Hoover Building in D.C. Right, and that's where headquarters, where the director and deputy directors and uh, different unit chiefs and people are. And then mm -hmm. there's also a Washington field office. Oh, right. um, just yeah, like yeah. the Atlanta field office, there's the Washington field office. So you have to differentiate uh, between all those different things. But um, uh, why Atlanta would be reporting this, it, it just could be that that's where um, some of the 
uh, many of the cases were. And so that just got released um, as a press release from Atlanta. I'm not really exactly sure uh, exactly why that would happen. But I'll tell you this, the reason, one of the reasons why these things are occurring um, is because there's been enough time now where there is a shift in the normalcy of not just adults, but young people um, with without any thought sending um, uh, not just explicit pictures, but having conversations with people online, uh, assuming that uh, that the person on the other end has their best interest at heart or is at their age. And, and it's, it's, it's not the same, but it's similar in fashion to when you have um, uh, the Nigerian scams where they uh, try to get people to send extra money for something that they're going to buy right. or that they'll say, well, I'm going to buy your car, but I'm going to say it's, it's only 4,000, but I only have a check for 5,000. You keep the other thousand and I'll come get the car. And that elderly people are extremely, um, easily coerced into that for whatever reason. And I think when it comes to sextortion, young people get themselves into positions where, uh, individual will gain knowledge of them and then extort them basically, uh, using their, their pictures. And it could be even people that are their age or maybe just got out of high school or people their age that are doing it as well. This is crazy stuff. Uh, Jonathan Gillum, I want to continue this conversation and get your insight on, on, how this is going to impact us moving forward. Folks, we're on with Jonathan Killam. He's a retired Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, and the author of Sheep No More, and he's coming right back with us. If you need the number again, it's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our conversation with uh, Jonathan Gillum. He is a retired Navy SEAL, uh, retired from the FBI. He hosts a podcast called The Experts, and he wrote a book called Sheep No More. And I want to make sure he tells us a little bit about the book as well before we go. But um, just doing a quick um, search on sex trafficking, and you see a multitude of articles 10 hours ago, an hour ago, four hours ago. Um, it keeps happening, right? They're, they're catching people. They just caught 100-something people the other day uh, in a big sting. Uh, Jonathan Gillum, from your perspective, uh, having served both you know militarily and in federal law enforcement, how do you, I guess for lack of other words, I'm going to use these. How do we get people in America to stop wanting so much underage and illicit sex? Well, first of all, okay, so let me, I'm going to tie all this stuff in because it's, it, as you're asking that question, I'm, something is popping out in me that's very important for people to realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a per, people in in this nation and around the world, for that matter, um, they they do things of their own free will. Uh, for instance, with young people and other people that are getting sextorted, um, which is really extortion using you know usually photographs or or, uh, or videos that they themselves have sent, right? right? So it's their will whether they're minors or not. They sent pictures that they took themselves, and then that that those things are used against them. When we look at uh, sex trafficking in the United States and we, we look at the number of people who uh, are willing to either pay for sex with somebody who may or may not be underage or, or they're going towards um, some type of a fetish or a disorder in their mind where that's what they desire, um, they, they have gone down a road typically that is not something that they're just born with. They're not born with this will to have sex with underage people. Their own free will has led them down that road mm-hmm. uh, of looking at pornography. And then when you look at the nation and the way, especially the the left, I would have to say, that when I say especially the left, I'm not saying solely the left because the left promotes uh, whether it's transgender or right. um, in some cases stuff that skirts the, the edge of pedophilia. And uh, they're the ones responsible for, for pushing it forward, uh, uh, sex, uh, getting um, young people where uh, they they're understand sexuality at five years old, for instance. But the, pro- the other problem is that conservatives in Congress, in the Senate, around the country, and conservative, the conservative citizenry doesn't really do anything about it. They talk about it. They talk about how bad it is and they never do anything about it. And so we're, we're in this particular place in this country and around the world, but let's in particular this country because of our own free will, people surf porn, they go down that road, the, the Democrats push it forward. And of our own free will, the conservatives don't come together and stop these things. And that, and that's that is point. really where it all starts. Yeah, and I only asked that question that way because I realize, you know, people are sinful everywhere you go. But I feel like the United States seems to, like, lead the pack when it comes to this stuff. Like, other nations don't have news reported like this. And maybe they're not stopping it. Maybe that's why you don't see it. But it seems like here you can get a, you know, a, a laundry list of, of, of arrests and stings. And, and they're all just hours old, a day old at most. There's always an arrest going on. It makes you think this sounds like the southern border with the with the people they're sending back versus the gotaways and the ones they're releasing into the interior of the country. I feel like that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're, we, we get a handful of these traffickers, uh, but the rest of them just keep we're a nation of laws. So, you know, Rich, we're a nation of laws and, and other nations aren't quite set up the same way. And so we, we, one of the reasons why you see it here is because of our laws and because our news is so salacious that they report those things because those, those headlines um, get clicks online. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's why you hear about it more, but you know, I want to say one other thing is that when I was sure. in the FBI, um, I dealt a lot with, and on one of the squads in particular that I was on with, um, uh, brothels, I guess you could say in New York city. And one of the things that we saw a lot of the times was that the females that were in these were from foreign countries who had chosen, they had been smuggled here, not trafficked. They had been smuggled. But once they got here, they were locked in and they could not escape that life um, because they owed a debt. And now that's technically they're being trafficked. 
But so again, their own free will, not everybody. There's tons of young people and people and women in general, and not just women, young, young men that are kidnapped, uh, not of their own free will. But a lot of people that get themselves into this situation go down a road that they do not understand. And so if the, it's just like drugs, if the appetite wasn't there, we wouldn't have this type right. of a problem. But uh, again, this is a problem that's as old as man and uh, deviation um, and a sinful nature uh, has been around since the very first man. So it's just that in, in, a, in a quote unquote civil society, um, what you're seeing now is, is that pe- what used to be looked at is that's against the law. I'm not, I'm not mentally drawn to that now. No respect to the law, um, uh, no no morals, no ethics, and so people are drawn to do things that are morally and ethically and legally wrong. I truly believe that. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you, and I think your your point uh, underscoring how um, the, the left within our political establishment uh, kind of gravitate towards promoting these these new policies that. Uh, enable right they just enable this to continue and they normalize this and apologize and apologize for the people who do it right and and it's just uh it's it's a it's a losing equation if we're going to play the game that way i agree with that absolutely now um we have about two and a half minutes to go and i'd like to get a sense of the book you've written sheep no more and i want to encourage everybody to get a a couple of copies one for themselves one to give away Uh, but how do you know in a nutshell how do you encourage people to not be sheep? It doesn't take a rocket science degree in order to be a bad person. Um, most of the people that you hear about that are doing the attacking, that are, you know, whether it's um, kidnapping a kid or making the decision to get involved with molestation of children, uh, trafficking people, murder, terrorism, any of those things, even what you, how you look at the way the left has weaponized illegally the the doj and the court systems right all that stuff does not take a rocket science degree it takes people who say i i can i now know the vulnerabilities of this particular sector and i'm going to exploit those people can do that to themselves every day their businesses their schools or churches they can look at those things from the attacker's point of view and that's what the book is all about outstanding well i think i think that's um a really good way of putting it. And I love the cover. I think it's great. And um, I think it's a, everybody, whether you live your life that way every day or not, at some point in your life, you have to make a choice, even if it's just situationally, to not be a follower, but to to, be, to lead yourself, to, to lead your family. And I think it's important that people get a copy of the book, get one copy for yourself, one to give away. Jonathan Gillum, let everybody know how they can keep up to speed with the work that you're doing. Well, they, they can always find, they can just go to, to Jonathan T. Gilliam, uh, dot com, um, or they can, you know, find me, uh, on any of the social media. I'm the guy with the beard, but, um, it's, uh, either Jonathan Gilliam or Jonathan T. Gilliam in case of Instagram where they, they got rid of my account. I had to come back and it's real Jonathan Gilliam. Got it. That good. You can always count on Instagram to be shady, right? Jonathan uh, Gillum, thank you, sir, for your service to the country. Thanks for uh, the update you've provided us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and we appreciate it. You got it, brother. Have a great weekend. You too. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Live report from a photographer on the ground in Israel. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
Familia, welcome back, amigos. We're talking about this uh, story uh, this week, big story. 24 soldiers were killed on the deadliest day for the Israeli forces in Gaza combat. And uh, there were 24 soldiers that were killed on Monday. This was, uh, again, the deadliest day they've had. Most of the soldiers, 21 of them, were killed in an attack in central Gaza when a terrorist squad surprised the fighters and launched missiles and rockets. Uh, And that's um, a quote from Daniel Hagari, spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF. And there's a a group of of young people that have been on a trip to Israel. I understand they just left yesterday. They're back today. And just yesterday they were there in in the Middle East, in Israel, in um, the the Gaza area at at one point uh, on a trip. And... They were able to witness a lot of what is going on in this war-torn region. Uh, I want to welcome one of those people, uh, Matana DeWitt. Uh, she was on a trip with Passages, uh, a group that brought them over there. Matana, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for staying up late and chatting with us. So let's uh, dig into this. So you went on this trip, and... What was the purpose of you going? Were you there to take photographs? Were you there to help out? Uh, Was it just a service trip? What was on your mind when you decided to go on this trip? Yeah, so so I went with Passages, an organization that brings um, Christian young people to Israel to kind of root them in their faith and Mm -hmm. expose them to the geopolitical realities of modern-day Israel. What was on your um, mind? Why did you go? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the purpose for us going there was that we wanted to um, to donate uh, funds that we had raised, $250,000 for two communities that we regularly bring our students to. So Kafar Aza and Atif Hasarah are two communities that are actually in the Gaza envelope. They're really close to the border, and they were hit some of the hardest, especially Kafar Aza. So we wanted to kind of go back to these communities that we had already had these connections with to you know, to help them in a very tangible way. We had many Christians from the United States who had donated um, to be able to, to kind of lend a hand to help them rebuild. Um, so that's what we were there doing. And, and, you know, just engaging with the people of Israel right now, listening to their stories, you know, showing up and being present and, um, and standing in solidarity, it meant a lot. Um, it means a lot in moments like these, so we were really privileged to get to do that. Well, Matana, tell me a little bit about what these stories were like. So, uh, did you get to know some of the people that you met? Uh, can you share a story of, you know, help the listeners understand exactly what it's like on the ground? Sure, sure. So I think for me personally, one of the most impactful places that we went, and, and we went to three really, uh, really key places in the South. So one um, was um, where the, the Nova Festival massacre happened. Another one was Kafaraza, where we actually were able to tour the community and see uh, the the rubble and and wreckage and just how how um, uh, destroyed really the community is especially this one na- one one neighborhood in particular um, that's called in Hebrew basically um, the translation is the young generation neighborhood so this is where people mm-hmm. from the ages of eighteen to thirty are living and this was hit hardest um, and it was really really sad walking through and just seeing how how devastated this whole area was um, seeing posters of um, you know, a person's name saying this person was brutally murdered in this home or this person was taking hostage from this home. Um, and just seeing seeing the wreckage there, it was it was it was moving and it was 
just heartbreaking. And, you know, one of the things that we had heard from um, some of the people who were giving us testimonies of what it was like was a lot of a lot of what happened was, you know, especially in this neighborhood in particular, um, there was they heard um, the sirens where, you know, missiles were coming in. They heard gunfire. They heard explosions and they took cover in their homes the best way that they could. Um, and as they were in their homes, they heard the screams of, of their friends who are like brothers and sisters to them just outside. They heard the screams of, of the people that they, that they loved layered on top of the laughter and celebrating of the Hamas terrorists who would come. And they stayed there for hours, some of them wondering, you know, when their last breath was going to be, when they were going to be found. Um, they sent messages to their family, you know, WhatsApp group saying, you know, why is no one coming for us? Why is no one coming to rescue us? Um, they said, I don't want to die alone. And, you know, as we were hearing this, it's just, you know, this is a reality um, that a lot of people don't, unfortunately, are denying even happened. Um, it's sad to hear and it is, it's, it's, um, I think having these stories to be able to share with the world and say, hey, this actually happened and this is a reality. Um, and people in Israel are still living in, in the reality of October 7th. October 7th is very much kind of frozen in time in Israel right now, especially since there's still over 130 hostages that have yet to be returned. Matana, who on the trip uh, did you meet that most uh, stood out to you? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I, I was so inspired by the people that I met there. Um, and there was, there was one person in particular, you know, part of my, part of my role on the trip was to interview people. Um, I work in the, in the communications field. And so we, uh, we wanted to interview as many people as possible to kind of get their stories, especially those who had survived this and who had been impacted by it most. And one of the people that I interviewed I was a young man, about uh, uh, 34 years old, and he shared what it was like. Do you remember his name? Um, unfortunately, I can't. I can't share his name right now. Um, oh, that's a shame. But yeah, well, make but up he's, a name because we've got a lot of people Qatar, listening, and they want to hear a story. <laughs> okay. Yes. So let's call him. Let's call him Arez. That's not his yep. name. Um, we're going to call him that. And he um, he shared what it was like to have his two best friends. They're twins to have his two best friends taken from, taken away from their home, um, taken hostage. And he said, you know, he told me, he's like, imagine, imagine that the two people that you love most in the world, uh, the closest people to you in the world, can't imagine life without them, that they're taken from you and they just disappear, that evil people just make them disappear and that there's no way for you to know where they are, how they're doing, if they're even alive. He said, I guarantee you in a week, you'd go crazy. And this is how we feel even more than that. Imagine that. Um, and it's now been 112 days, 112 days since all of this started. Um, and they still don't have an answer. They still don't have any word on where their loved ones are. And, you know, he, he shared this from such a, um, a heartfelt place of, you know, he wants to have his friends back. He hopes and prays that they're okay. Um, and this is, a re- this is just one person's story. There's so many stories like this. But I remember he shared that and just the, um, you know, asking, asking me to imagine what it might feel like, imagine what it's like. And I did. And it, it's, um, it's a very hard reality. Yeah, I bet it is. Uh, now, Matana, what was the area like? Were you in a very safe place? Was there uh, fighting where you were? Um, did it look like there was fighting where you were? Were places, you know, half blown up or were you in a um, well-composed area? That's a good question. So 
uh, we were safe. We were, you know, we wouldn't have been put in harm's way. And, and, uh, but we did hear the, we did hear explosions in the distance. We heard, we heard gunfire um, because, you know, everything in Israel is so close to each other. You know, the, the borders are so close. Um, so these communities are right on the border and, you know, you can, you see Gaza in the distance very easily. Um, you, you know, we could see smoke kind of rising from the horizon as we were touring these communities. We could hear, hear the, um, the, the gunfire. There was actually a moment when um, it ended up being a false alarm, thankfully, but um, there was a, what they call a, a, a red alert. So whenever there's an alert that a missile has been shot off to a particular region, um, the Iron Dome will intercept it, but it gives an alert to the people locally to go take shelter. So that did happen for our group whenever we were there. We had to go take shelter, um, which, unfortunately, that was a reality even before the war started, um, before the attack on October 7th, where people would very commonly have to go run to a place of shelter, whether it's a playground that's made out of bomb shelters or whether it's a bus stop made out of a bomb shelter. Um, that was already a reality. And, um, you know, we felt that, too, ourselves while we were there. You know, we were safe, but it also is, you know, it's a country at war right now. So we did feel the impact of that. It definitely wasn't like a normal trip to Israel. And my final question to you is, uh, we, we heard about this report of 24 soldiers being killed on Monday. Obviously, in, in the subsequent days, you guys were there. And what was the, the feeling like, the vibe, when you were there with these soldiers being killed? Were people in mourning? Um, did you even feel it where, where you were? Is it something that was being talked about widely, or is it something that was only being reported here in the States? It was absolutely felt. Yeah, I remember we got on the bus that morning, and our tour guide, um, who is obviously a local Israeli, along with other people that we talked to that day, everybody mentioned it. Everybody mentioned it. Um, in one way or another, through conversation, whether they were speaking to us from a stage or whether they were in conversation with our group, everybody mentioned it. Um, in the morning, you know, people wake up and they look on their phones to see, okay, what's happened in the night? You know, what's happened since yesterday? And so when people woke up that morning, it was, um, it was just uh, such a deep heartbreak that that many young people um, with families, people who are fathers, people who are um, brothers, nephews, you know, who have families, because this is very close to home. You know, people, many people fighting have joined um, from, from reserve. So they, you know, right. they have normal lives. They have families. And so this isn't just, it's not, um, you know, people don't hold it at, at arm's length. You know, it's, it's very close. It hits very close to home anytime one person is killed. Um, so it was definitely very felt. Folks, uh, we're on with uh, Matana and uh, DeWitt, and she uh, spent the week in Israel, or at least this week during this uh, most fatal attack. Uh, Matana, I want to thank you for sharing these stories with us and really giving us a, a bird's eye view of what was going on while you were in Israel. And I wish you the best of luck with your uh, work and communications and everything that you do. And thanks for staying up late with us. Thank you so much. You bet. Folks, we continue our national conversation with each and every one of you straight ahead. Here's the number, 833-482-5337. And again, Open Phone America, we're going to start getting into that shortly. So if you want to get your calls in, now is the time, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
There's more news in your commentary, in your analysis, than there is on the news network. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so we've got Representative Jim Himes on MSNBC today, and he says, yes, uncontrolled immigration does hurt wages. Listen to this. Let's focus on immigration for a second. We want to do a deal. You cannot have uncontrolled uh, uh, migration across the border. That is not acceptable. Uh, we see that here in New York City. It is not acceptable. So we need to control the border. And yes, uncontrolled migration does put downward pressure on wages. So I understand why people uh, object to the idea for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, we are there to do the deal. Again, don't take it from me. I heard the president in the cabinet room say, I will do a big deal. If a deal doesn't happen, it will be because of the Republicans in the Senate and the House. So there you go. Now, listen, this is an interesting thing, because I think this guy's telling uh, at least half of the truth here. And and he's right. Yes, um, it is a big deal. The problem that they're making this out to be is they're saying, that now, because Trump is running, Republicans don't want to make a deal on immigration. Excuse me. Republicans don't need to make any deal on anything. Republicans aren't the reason that there is a uh, uh, open border. And I, again, I say open tongue in cheek, right? The fact that there are guards there and nobody's stopping anybody from coming in. People can come to this country. All they have to do is say, I'm looking for asylum. Even if they don't qualify for it, we're not stopping them from coming in. We actually put them on a plane. We give them some money. We give them a cell phone. We send them on our way. So, yeah, this hurts wages. Of course, you're getting all this free labor, cheap labor, people that are willing to work for anything because they're fleeing these these uh, countries where they don't get as much money. Look, I was in Colombia at the beginning of the year, first week of uh, January, and we're, it's almost four to one. It was like 3,900 Colombian pesos for every U.S. dollar. And it, it's not equal value over there, right? So it's not like um, you're just going to multiply what, you know, whatever would be here by 4,000 and you, you're, you've got the exchange. No, it's not really it. Uh, you may have that on, on the actual cash exchange, but you can have an entire meal. I went to a seafood restaurant and ate, you know, what would, would have been in like New York City, $100 for the dish, in, let's say, the outskirts, Brooklyn, New Jersey, something like that, maybe about 60 or $50 for a dish. It was like a crab, a stuffed crab dish with uh, with, with scallops on the side and, uh, and had a glass of wine and just, you know, it, 17 U.S. dollars is what I spent. And I was like, man, I can't eat. For 17 bucks, I can barely get McDonald's, right, at a drive-thru. And I haven't bought McDonald's in a long time, but I know the last time I went to White Castle, for those of you who don't know what White Castle is, this is Tiny Slider Royalty, Murder Burger. Love those things. Anyway, um, I think I spent 15 bucks. So my point in all of this is, yeah, these people, and I'm not saying they're coming from Colombia either. I'm just giving you an example of South America. Um, when you live in a country where uh, the U.S. dollar goes a long way, you're willing to come here and work really hard because you're already working really hard in your country for a lot less money. So it makes a ton of sense to come here and undercut somebody for their job. Why not? You're willing. You're like, hey, I'll do it. Uh, we saw a similar situation when slaves were freed after the Civil War and were legally allowed to come up to the north. And they were taking jobs as shoe shiners and everything else. And they would work for less money because 
that's what you do in a free market. You become competitive and that's it. You, you deliver your service or your product. So my point in all that is while Representative Jim Hines uh, on MSNBC today is saying that, yes, uncontrolled immigration hurts wages, he's right. But then they go on to say that they have this deal, and if it doesn't happen, it's because of the Republicans in the Senate and the House. But I, I turn to them and say, we don't need a deal for Joe Biden to say, hey, by golly, I am the president of the United States. And guess what? I say you must shut down the border right now. Instead, Biden makes these excuses, trying to scapegoat this onto Congress, and then Congress points it all at the Republicans, and that's it. Voila, this is Trump's fault again. No, 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 sorry, not happening. That's not how it works. Anyway, your calls and thoughts on that and more immigration straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I got to tell you guys, I went to a Donald Trump rally a couple nights ago. Never been to one. Uh, I had an event across the street. I saw the line of people waiting in the cold for hours. And I thought, what the heck? You know, I'm going to be a leader who actually invites people, doesn't condemn them. Met probably 50 Trump people waiting in line. Every single one of them, thoughtful, hospitable, friendly. All of them so frustrated that they feel nobody's listening to them but Donald Trump. A diverse crowd, people who had never been to a Trump event before. My party is completely delusional right now. And somebody had to wake us up. And if that's my job, so be it. America, that's Representative Dean Phillips. Congressman Phillips is running against Joe Biden for the Democrat nomination. I'll tell you, if I could vote for a Democrat, I'd vote for that guy. He seems to be making sense. Now, some of yourself, of course, he's worshiping your, your orange God. But no, that's not why. It's because... He's thinking and he's saying his party's delusional. And I agree, his party's delusional. I will also say that there's a segment of uh, the Republican Party that's also delusional. The segment that thinks that somehow we're going to get back to the era where um, aerospace and defense contractors and the country club uh, Republicans and the Nikki Haley crowd uh, are going to take over this party. They did that once and it was the status quo and none of us knew better until we did. The Tea Party came around and then Trump came around. And now that the Tea Party and Trump have, I think, permeated the Republican Party, I'm glad they did. They breathed new life into it. And I think the Country Club Republican days are over. So Dean Phillips, spot on, my man. Folks, we're coming right back. Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program, hour number three. This is the, the third hour of the program where we dedicate it to you, uh, the callers, right? Every hour is dedicated to the listeners, but this one is dedicated to the callers that want to call in and uh, comment on everything we're talking about. We've been talking about what's going on in Israel. We've been talking about uh, this um, uh, alarm that's been sounded by the FBI saying that sextortion, uh, sexual extortion uh, is on the rise. It's up 700% since 2021, so the last three years. We've also had some discussion on is America losing its faith and some legal analysis on whether uh, Funny Willis uh, did the wrong thing in hiring her boyfriend who's unqualified to do a criminal indictment and went ahead and did one. And who did he do it with? He did it against the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Uh, so she's under investigation by the state Senate in Georgia. It's not going to throw the case out of court, but it definitely calls into question her motivation and will likely, um, at least in a perfect world, uh, create a set of circumstances where she may recuse herself and someone else would have to take over the case because of her lapse in judgment. And we've talked about a number of things tonight, and you can bring whatever you want to the table. Our phone number is 833-482-5337. Yesterday, I mentioned that I wanted to do a, a little bit of an open phone segment on stories about your in-laws. I may hold off on that until Monday, so keep those stories. Uh, and if you want to share one tonight, you can. But I really wanted to, to do uh, something kind of dedicated to in-laws uh, just because I, I think that's funny. And I'd like to know if people feel supported by their in-laws or not. Or do you feel like everything you do under the sun and nothing's ever good enough? So I'm curious to hear those stories. Uh, maybe we'll do that on Monday. But tonight we have plenty on the table, and I'm happy, happy to hear about that. Also, um, if uh, just a quick plug. I normally don't do this at the beginning. I do it at the end, but I'll forget. Uh, check, check me out on Newsmax this weekend. If you're uh, tuned into Newsmax, I'm going to be doing some commentary on on the network so um let me know what you think of that hit me up on social media and drop a thought at rich valdez with an s now there's been there's a story today a big story about the um i forget what the name of this u.n court is let me see what this court is called ah it's not even coming up anyway some big international court uh about their admonition against israel and we have a a a, a clip of what they had to say. I want you to listen to this. We simply have said consistently, we find that that, that, that claim is, is unfounded. Um, and you know, the, the court also did not find uh, Israel guilty uh, of genocide. Right, so the National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, that was him, uh, following a UN world court order for Israel to prevent genocide. Now I think to myself, what kind of story is this, right? This is what I call propaganda. Now, I know some people, oh, you're just a shill for Israel. Listen, since when 
do we um, say things like, oh, by the way, the court weighed in on this and told uh, the rapists that uh, you, you rape, you have to try to not rape people. You told the murder, oh, you don't murder people. Everybody knows that rape and murder are bad, right? These are soldiers. These are professional soldiers defending their homeland that was attacked on January 7th. You don't need to tell a professional army that genocide is not allowed. They know that already. Who's the pendejo at uh, the world court or whatever it's called, the International Court of Justice, that decides these things? Obviously, they know that. It's John Kirby, who I rarely agree with. Even he says there's no evidence that this is a founded accusation. We even had a guest yesterday that said, well, we've got to get Israel to stop uh, killing women and children. Mr. Holloway, with all due respect, Mr. Holloway, where's the evidence of that? And in the cases where we do that, that know that there's some collateral damage, is it a known fact for decades that Hamas, Hamas is actually uh, what they do is hide in mosques and schools, daycare facilities, hospitals, and they launch rockets from these, these locations? They hide behind women and children? I think everybody knows that. So excuse me when I take exception to this, but I think it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy to sit there and tell uh, these people that that, that they're um, that you're not allowed to do that. And the reason it says, oh, it falls short of forcing a ceasefire says who these people were attacked. And the, the prime minister is on the record saying, look, they attacked us because they want to destroy us. They want to eliminate us. That's in their charter. It's written. Israel doesn't have a charter that says that they need to eradicate Hamas. I'm not painting one as a devil and one as an angel. I'm just calling the facts what they are. I am no angel. I've done plenty of misdeeds in my life. But if you come into my house uninvited, you're a trespasser. So if you get shot, two in the body, one in the head, center mass, right? And it's over for you. Whose fault is that? Mine for shooting you or yours for coming into my house? You're going to sit here and tell me you can't go killing people. And in fact, that's what they do. <laughs> uh, the, the left in the government here in New Jersey, they've made it so difficult. They've uh, distorted castle doctrine. The standard ground laws don't exist. Matter of fact, they say if somebody comes into my house to harm me, I have to do my best to run out of my back door. If I have a back door, the only way I can fight to, de- to defend myself is if there is no other way out of it but by eliminating that threat. But if I have the opportunity to run out of my own home, that I should do that. That's the literal law in this in this state here in New Jersey. Then people wonder why I want to move to Miami. That's part of it. But anyway, uh, this goes on. And I'm just going to play one more clip of this because uh, I think it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, this is John Kirby again, national security spokesman, asked today if the U.S. is disappointed by the ruling from the International Court of Justice. Listen to this. Actually, I mean, I think the court's ruling is consistent with m- many of uh, our, our uh, uh, many of our positions many, and, and much of the approach that we've taken with Israel, for instance, in, you know, uh, the view that Israel has the right to take action against the terrorists of that on the October 7th attack, that that they have an obligation to be mindful of minimizing civilian casualties, that they have an obligation to assist the international community to get humanitarian assistance. And all these are things that we uh, that we have been pushing and urging for as well. You know, I just think it's it's a very special day, a very sad day when you take the actual army of a country that's defending itself. Right. And is now on the attack because they were attacked. Right. So retaliating 
and telling them, hey, listen, guys, you can't do X, Y, and Z. And not telling the actual terrorist organization that was created and has a charter saying we have to eliminate Israel, funded by the country that chants death to the U.S., the big Satan, death to Israel, the little Satan. Right? I'm not making this up. This is what they do. This is how they open Congress. We do it with the Pledge of Allegiance. They do it with death to America. Let's hit the phones. 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. Let's go to Steve, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Steve, what's on your mind? Hey, thanks for taking the call, Mr. Valdez. Yes, sir. Um, I, I I watched you on video on, uh, forget where it was. I think it was our radio or something. And and you were fantastic. And then oh, I got to see you. you for the first time. That was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, make sure you check me out on Newsmax. I'll be on this weekend. You 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 did, but you didn't look exactly like I thought you would look. Um, <laughs> I always get that. Anyway, so I wanted to ask you a question. This is going to be a hard one for you to answer, and, and that's understandable. If you were the prime minister of, of Israel, if you were Netanyahu, and you could just – you were you were ruler – um, he's not a ruler. He has to have, you know, consent. But if right. you are a ruler, knowing the history of of the Palestinian people, if if they the Arabs who were considered Palestinians, and knowing that they wiped out yeah. as a per capita thing, you know, like like. 10% mm-hmm. of your population, okay, what, in one day. The question is, knowing, and also I want to preface it, okay? Well, don't do too much. It's only a three-hour show, and we're down to 45 minutes, so go school, for it. They train their children in school to, to yeah. from, from birth, as soon as they go into school, to hate Israelis and to love the Intifada. What would, what would you do? Okay, so here's, this is a simple one. Um, and you could print this in the press if you'd like. I would take a very aggressive posture. Whatever uh, Havana syndrome machines are available to me, I would use them. I would make everybody with sound issues. I, I would mess everybody up. Light, sound, dogs, you name it. And I would tell them, you got to go. You've got to go. Big push telling everybody. Hostages, underground tunnel, doctors, nurses. If you're left in this place, there's a tsunami coming and it's called my rockets. There's an earthquake coming and it's called my missiles. Uh, there's, a, I don't know, a hurricane coming and it's called our handguns. Uh, we are going to destroy everything in sight. You've got to go. We're giving you a little extra time for old people on oxygen machines. We're giving you a little extra time for, for women that are giving birth right now. A little extra time, like half hour. You know, I mean, really, I would take a very aggressive approach and say, you got to go. Ring the alarm. Sound the sirens. And at that point, um, we move in. We move in, and we move in hard. And now people are saying, but Rich, you're such a petty tyrant. How could you do such a thing? You would lose all of the hostages. It's my belief that we probably won't get back most of these hostages. It's my belief. I could be wrong. We have gotten some back. And I would have been wrong to to make that move um, early on, October 8th or whatever, just figuratively speaking. But I think the posture has to be very aggressive. Um, I would not engage in this door-to-door, are you a good guy, are you a bad guy? We've already did that in Iraq. Uh, We spent some time in Afghanistan. What was that, two decades? We've already seen what this is like. This ends up costing uh, your soldiers their limbs and their lives. 
You go in there, you clean out everything, and you track these guys down as best as you can. And one by one, you exterminate the rodents. That's what has to be done. Now, people are going to say, oh, my God, that's such tough rhetoric. You're dehumanizing. Yes, you dehumanize the enemy. They're vermin, right? People that go to your country and slit the throats of babies deserve to be met with the same fate. That's what I believe. Sorry. So, yeah, that's what I would do as prime minister. And I realized that that would bring a lot of heat on me. And I would likely not be able to be prime minister for too much longer. And that's why I would take care of this job swiftly and then say, throw me in jail, throw away the key, do what you got to do. But my country's safe now. And Hamas is going to take two more decades to get back to where they were on October 6th. But as of now, there's no more. It's kind of like ISIS, the way we kind of took them out. Right. And you do it as quickly as you can. I think um, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been very um, kind. He's been very courteous. He's been very methodical, uh, probably more so than I would be, maybe because he has more information, more patience, more experience. Um, But uh, from where I stand as a radio host, uh, that's the position I would take. If I was given other information, then maybe I would make a different decision. But I think my decision would be to move in quickly and with as much non-lethal force as possible to try to get these hostages and something that would debilitate them. So, you know, whatever type of gas, uh, tear gas, you name it, just go in there and, and you know, bring in the SEALs, bring in the, the SWAT type of teams, you know, these extraction teams. You, you got to go in there and do that, get in these tunnels quickly, and that's it. Uh, again, am I making it sound super easy? I'm sure there's a bunch of IDF guys going, look, I like you and I like your show, but you're painting this out to be submission impossible Tom Cruise type of thing. You're right. Uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be in a war, but that is the action that I would take, you know, pending the advice of the generals. Anyway, I got to pause here. It's uh, 20 minutes after. So thank you for your call, my brother. I appreciate it. Steve on WGKA. And we're going to continue with your calls and more. I want to talk about immigration. I also want to talk about the CDC, they say that the risk for transgender women's uh, risk for HIV is higher and it's influenced by discrimination. Oh, my God. I bendito. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-4. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. So again, just to underscore this, and again, we'll move on to the other topics, and we're going to get to your calls right now. But I, I just wanted to really make this very clear. This, the United Nations International Court of Justice, ICJ, whatever it's called, they go to Israel and they say, listen, you can't do a genocide, which they already know, Right. This is literally everybody knows that there's the Geneva Conventions. Everybody knows this. You can't do this. They should be talking to the Hamas terrorists that were there slitting the throats of babies and setting people on fire and doing all the things that they did. But they did not. 
And what's more interesting, it's the same UN, this same UN that just fired their own employees because they found them to be working with the terrorists on October 7th. So the UN employees are killing the Jews and the same UN people are saying, by the way, Jews, you can't go killing everybody. What? That just makes no sense. Now, listen, I'm not saying women and children. This is, a, you know, um, an easy way to get a misunderstood and convolute the conversation. That's not what I'm saying. And I think everybody understands exactly what I'm saying. But I want to get to your calls on a number of topics. We have a b bunch of them. Thank you for holding. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Where do we start? Who's been on hold the longest? Let's go here. Uh, we had a conversation on is America losing its Christianity? Is atheism running amok? Let's go to Joe, Salem, Arkansas, KSAR. Go right ahead, Joe. Yeah, Rich, uh, I agree with you on the stand on Israel. You're not a pacifist. You let us know that. And that's what has to be done. Extinct to the devils over there that attacked is the word of the day. But what I wanted to, what I wanted to hit on was um, your attorney uh, guest. Doug at Burns. The beginning of the sh yeah. Um, I appreciate him and his answers and enjoyed his commentary, however, as all lawyers have to do, he has to be very careful with his language. I noticed every question you asked him, he uh, he was liability conscious. And being a member of the bar, you know, he can get thrown right. out just as easy for his stands. But I'd like to see more attorneys take some stands. Uh, wicked Amen. judges is the reason for uh, <clears throat> all this lack of sincerely held religious beliefs. I've got six kids that I lost custody to over the Fifth Commandment. I told my 17-year-old daughter, you obey your father and your mother uh, and stop disrespecting me in my house, and uh, you'll have a long life, God says. Well, the judge used that against me uh, as uh, threatening my daughter uh, oh, uh, man, with Joe. death. I, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I see how that happens. I, I've seen it happen. I've been through this, not through that exact scenario, but I've been through the, the family court and whatnot. And it wasn't very ugly, honestly. It was a very uh, uh, peaceful uh, back and forth. I just wanted to do it through the court so I didn't have to have any direct contact, uh, But which was a mistake in retrospect. But bottom line is, you know, people will misconstrue so much of what is meant in good faith. And it's a shame that we live in this cynical type of world. Joe, thanks for the call. Salem, Arkansas, K-S-A-R. I appreciate your thoughts. We're coming right back. Rest of your calls. Don't move a muscle. It's me, Rich Valdez, and we're still doing Open Phone America. America, welcome back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to be on Newsmax this weekend. Make sure you check me out there. The phone number, if you want to join the show right now, 833-482-5337-8334. Valdez, we're live in most of the markets that we're in. So that's millions of people listening and a bunch of people on the phones waiting. 
let us go to your calls. And again, we've been discussing the E. Jean Carroll case and uh, Dean Phillips. Uh, Dean Phillips is uh, the guy, the congressman running against Joe Biden, who said that the Democrats are delusional. I'll play that clip again in a moment. Uh, but uh, I thought it was uh, an apt statement. I think the Democrats are delusional. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Let us go here to Katie. She's in Reading, Pennsylvania, listening on WEEU. Katie, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. I just wanted to um, bring this to people's attention because up until five minutes ago, I didn't know about it myself. It's a yeah. little article I just found on, it was NBC or something. Yeah. And I'm going to read quick quotes from her. I made several jokes about Donald Trump in twelve in 2012. Post, a post in which I asked people whether they would have sex with Trump for $17,000. Another quote is, in the decades after the alleged attack at the Bergdorf Goodman department store in Manhattan, she kept shopping at the store. Quote, I, it, it is not a place I'm afraid of to enter, she said. Really? I've been raped. I don't go back to the place. Okay. And then it says a uh, testy changes, and this is the big part. Why is she not suing CBS CEO Les Moonves, who also denied her claim that he once sexually assaulted her. And now here's the fun part. Well, he just denied it, Carol said of Moonves. He didn't call me names and grind my face through the mud like Donald Trump did. Wow. Well, it's clear to me that she doesn't like him, right? I mean, she just doesn't like uh, former President Trump. And it's uh, it is what it is, right? This is something that uh, Doug Burns weighed in on earlier. He's a former chief of the criminal uh, division at the Department of Justice, and he's been uh, an attorney for 30-some-odd years. And I can tell you that uh, he suspects that this is going to make its way to um, a pretty reputable court of appeals. Uh, I think he said the, the Second Circuit, if I'm not mistaken, and that he thinks it, it'll end up in a better place. But it is a crazy thing. And I think and these were his words. You know, he said it was crazy to see how they came up with this, this uh, judgment. It was crazy to see how they came up with the judgment they use against Giuliani as well. And that there's people that are just out of control here. And when it comes to lawyers and judges, because they're they're blinded. And last week I told you about a very sweet woman who runs a bakery near me. And um, I don't, you know, asked me how the news business was. I said, oh, lots to talk about. Very busy. And. Then she went on to say, yeah, there's an article about Trump saying he's God. You should check it out. I said, oh, I will. Sounds like something I would talk about on my show. And then just went on to disparage Trump, disparage Trump. And I didn't take any offense. I just uh, I was shocked by it because I'd never gotten into a political conversation with her. And and I, I shared this uh, uh, last week, but just to reiterate it for anybody who may have missed it. And ultimately, uh, you know, I just said, well, I mean, honestly, the, the economy did do a lot better under Trump. You know, I wasn't trying to get into a debate. I wasn't in the mode I'm on when I'm in the radio or uh, on television and, um, you know, where I'm ready to, to go head to head. This is a dear woman that's, you know, my elder. And she, she was just so disappointed. And she ultimately told me, uh, well, that's the problem. You're just focused on the bottom, on your bottom line. And that's sad. And she was upset. She walked away from me. And um, and I was bothered by that, not because, you know, I was offended by it, but because I felt like, wow, I just come here to buy gluten free brownies and <laughs> that are made without sugar. And I, I, I love the fact that I can get those there. And I was just you know taken aback by it. But what are you going to do? Right. And it's the same thing here. Um, you've got judges and, and and legal people that are involved in this case that also have it in for Trump. 
because so many people believe all this rhetoric and many people are saying it's a civil war, at least a cold civil war that's brewing. And I would say, yeah, you know, if we're going to talk about a cold war uh, internally here in the United States, I think it's been brewing forever. Uh, We've seen states um, that are, you know, kind of drawing the lines. And I think the support for Texas, not to shift gears too quickly, but the support for Texas on this immigration case, I think, is kind of like the lines of demarcation for a lot of people where they're saying, look, we're for America. We're against this illegal immigration influx. And if you're for it, then we're against you. And that's going to be the bastions for liberals and for progressives to uh, populate. And everywhere else is, you know, free America. And we'll see what happens with E. Jean Carroll and her exercise of her free speech, which is saying Trump this and Trump that. And I'm going to sue him for this. I'm going to sue him for that. But ultimately, I think uh, I, I believe in justice and, I, and I'm an optimist. Sometimes you lose, but hopefully we win. And I think we're seeing some winning going on lately with Trump. Um, you may, may not win them all, but we're seeing more and more people realize, you know, whether I like Trump or not, this is the wrong way to treat any human. And um, that's where I'm at. Katie, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. And I want to um, play this audio of Dean Phillips again. I think it's only like half a minute so that you could hear it, uh, because I think when he says my party's delusional, I think he's right. He said he went to a Trump rally. Well, listen to this. And I got to tell you guys, I went to a Donald Trump rally a couple of nights ago. Never been to one. Uh, I had an event across the street. I saw the line of people waiting in the cold for hours. And I thought, what the heck? You know, I'm going to be a leader who actually invites people, doesn't condemn them. Met probably 50 Trump people waiting in line. Every single one of them, thoughtful, hospitable, friendly, all of them so frustrated that they feel nobody's listening to them but Donald Trump. A diverse crowd, people who had never been to a Trump event before. My party is completely delusional right now. And somebody had to wake us up. And if that's my job, so be it. So Dean Phillips, he's willing to um, fall on his sword to do the right thing for Democrats. And listen, uh, you know, when I was younger, that's what Democrats were. They were just the other party that, you know, loved this country, did the right thing, just did it differently. They they disagreed on certain topics and that was fine. But now it's like if you disagree on certain topics, then you're the enemy and you need to be canceled and you should be jailed. And this is absolute insanity that what the way they treat Trump and the way they treat Republicans in general. Once they do it to him and they're successful, they're definitely coming after the rest of us. And we see it. There's some pro-lifers right now that are uh, their, their trial started today. We've seen what happened with some of the people that were not even inside the building in January 6th, how, how they were treated. You know, like Brandon Strzok, who never went inside the building and was, was put in jail for an extended period of time. I mean, just crazy things that we see. Anyway, let's go to Gary, Richfield, Connecticut on WLED. Uh, Gary, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Um, I haven't talked to you for a while, so Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Happy um, New Year to you too, Gary. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to uh, share a little bit of interesting uh, trivia with you. Uh, do you remember the uh, columnist Dear Abby? Love Dear Abby. I've been trying to get a, a segment on this program called Dear Richie, where I give you uh, unsolicited advice from somebody that's not qualified to give it. But go right ahead. Well, I'm, I'm sure that would be a, a, a big hit if you're able to pull it off. Hopefully but, soon. Um, yeah. Um, the reason I ask is, uh, did you know that Dear Abby was Dean Phillips' grandmother? Get out of here. That is so cool. 
I did not know that. So, yeah, I, I was watching a um, a uh, a video of of his uh, the other the other night, and he mentioned that, and he was he was telling a story uh, about being at a dinner with his grandmother, dear Abby, sitting right next to him, and and you know some of the. Uh, the, the advice uh, and, and humor that she used to pass along to him. I was really impressed with that guy, and, and I, was, I, I really appreciated, you know, hearing your, uh, your remarks about him, too. Um, well, that's you know, awesome I'm, to I'm know. I'm a Republican. Yeah. Well, I, I, it, I, I've just been hoping that the, uh, the Democrats would put forward a, a good person, somebody of good character and, you know, um, capable of making good decisions, uh, just because he doesn't uh, or they don't agree with me 100 percent of the time doesn't mean that uh, that they're wrong and I'm right. Um, so, you know, I would just like to see them put forward a uh, I've been waiting for them to put forward a good person. And I think he might be the guy. Yeah, listen, and obviously they're not putting him forward. He's putting himself forward because he sees what they're putting forward, meaning the DNC, the party, uh, the, the rank and file, the establishment. And listen, I'm with you. I, I am with you. I don't believe that we need to kill every last Democrat. I don't think we need a civil war. I don't think any of that. I think we need people that are commonsensical that are going to say, you know what? I'm going to do something to help America. And we're going to make this place better. But not the way AOC thinks she's helping America. Not the way Ilhan Omar thinks she's helping America. Not to turn America into a uh, light version of Cuba or Venezuela, but to, to really make this country better based on its founding principles, Right. This is, I always say it all the time. This is a country that was started by a bunch of old straight white men, right? What the left seems to hate. I have no problem with that. I get it. That's fine. To go to Brazil, it was you know started by the Spaniards, and then the Portuguese came in, and they had. That's why they speak Portuguese in Brazil. You, you go to Puerto Rico, same thing. You've got people speaking Spanish because the Spanish ones were there. Everybody has a story. There's history everywhere. There's culture everywhere. And I get it. You don't have to lose your culture and lose your history just because you have a bunch of people that sympathize with communism and think that it's it's a great idea to talk about oppression and imperialism and this victimhood mentality where it's us against them. And it's, um, um, you know, I'm the uh, oppressed and you're the oppressor. No, listen, it can be us against them in so much as a disagreement on policy and, and, and the things that we hold as virtuous uh, within ourselves. But ultimately, it's it's a country and it's a free country. We have to give people a chance to say what they want to say and do what they're going to do. And that's why I love talking to people on this program that disagree with me, because that's what America's all about. Let's have the conversation. Let's have the disagreement and keep it moving. One of us has got to have some good points and maybe both of us will have good points. And that that's what it's about. Individuality. The fact that we can hang up after this and you go do you and I'm going to go do me. Anyway, that's my thought on it. Gary, I want to thank you for the call on that really fun piece of trivia. And um, I, uh, I read the Dear Abby columns. They're still around. I don't know if she's writing them or not, but they're still around and they're really fun. And uh, we are going to launch that pretty soon. Um, but if you get a chance, let me know what you think about this Dear Richie idea. It's kind of like a, my secret desire to be Frazier Crane, if you know what I'm talking about. Don't go anywhere, folks. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I love that little uh, trivia that we just got about Dear Abby being uh, Dean Phillips' grandma. I love Dear Abby. I think those columns were tremendous. And like I said, I've been wanting to start something here, a little bit uh, humorous, uh, but every now and again, I do know something about something, but I'm no Dear Abby, right? She was like a real shrink. But I can tell you, I, I've always wanted to take a stab at that. I love the show, Frasier. It's part of, part, a very small part of why I, I enjoy doing radio at night, because <clears throat> I feel like saying, I'm listening, right? In my Frasier voice. Hello, Seattle, I'm listening. <clears throat> now, I'm not Frasier Crane, but uh, I'd love to play one, to play Frasier Crane for, you know, one or two segments uh, per night. And I think what better time than now to talk about this Dear Richie segment that we're trying to launch. So uh, just like Dear Abby, um, just so you know, she had went to a newspaper editor and complained that she could write a better column than the one that she'd been reading. And the editor said, well, listen, we have a bunch of letters that are piling up from people looking for advice. Why don't you start writing? Have at it. And she did, and the rest was history. The column continues today. It's written by her daughter, Abigail. Her real name was actually Pauline, and she went by Abby. And that's who's writing the column now is her daughter, Abigail. So I think that's a fascinating story about an advice column. And I want to do something like that on this program. So if anybody's interested, you can use the contact form on richvaldezamericatnight.com or I'm going to give you my personal email address. I'm not going to repeat it because I don't want to get a bunch of spam, but it's richvaldez with an S at yahoo.com. And if you want to share a story that you want me to talk about on the air and give a response to, I'd, I'm happy to do it. Just uh, send that email to richvaldez at yahoo.com. All right. Anyway, excuse me. We continue. I had to use my cough button. Let's go to Moses listening on the point uh, in uh, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. You know what, my friend? No. First question is, when are you guys going to quit? Um, probably when I stop breathing. I, I, really? Do you really feel like that, man, as a human being? Who are you talking about? Think about it. I'm talking you said, when am I going to quit? I'm going to quit when I don't have breath to go on anymore. When are you going to quit? No, 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 no. Let, let's not be sarcastic about the thing. Let's Why not? I like sarcasm. The, well, you're one of the ones that's going to drive us straight to hell. I'm driving the bus, my brother. What else you got? And really, huh? What else you got? Excuse me? What else do you have, sir? Listen to me. See? You I'm, see I'm trying. I'm you understand me? You understand me? You're wasting yeah. a lot of valuable airtime. If you have something to say, Put a cogent sentence together and make your statement. 
I just asked you, when do you guys go? And quit? I told you, asked and answered, move on. What else you got? Let me say this. Let me say this. It's clear to me, to me, okay, that you guys are being driven by Fox News. Okay. No, sir, I'm driven by the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the founding documents of this country, the, the writers and philosophers that informed the founding of this country. You're talking about uh, guys from the Enlightenment like Montesquieu, like John Locke, and many others that believed in liberty and believed in this idea that America would be. And uh, when, when you look at, at so much of what we achieved as a country, it's phenomenal. When you look back lately and you see how we're going away from the goal, it's saddening. And that's what I'm trying to do is make this place w- at its potential, right, to be the best that we can be. That's all I'm trying to do. I want to leave this country better for my children than it was for me. And it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but I don't think it has anything to do with me. Listen, don't somebody pay you to do what you're doing? It you doesn't. Everybody gets paid to do their job. Okay, so in my opinion, I believe it's Fox News. I don't work for Fox News. I work for Cumulus Media. M- Moses, I don't want to hang up on you, but I got to take a break. Hold on. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, we're going to come back very quickly to Moses because we're almost done with the program. Moses, you got 30 seconds. Make your point, sir. Here's my point. For one, Dennis Prego, okay? A caller called in and asked Well, I can't him, talk about what Dennis Prego does. I, I, I don't know what he's doing. I can only talk about Rich Valdez and this show. You asked me to make a point, right? Well, I'm telling you, your point's no good. Come up with another one. All right, well, either way you look at it, let me ask you then. Who do you consider to be the left? The left are the people that espouse those ideas that are typically known as left-wing. Uh, so most of the, the fringe within the Democrat Party, most of the fringe within the teachers' union, I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple delineation of who the left is. I would say you're probably center-left where you're not a radical. You probably believe that little boys should be little boys and little girls should be little girls. And you just want to be left alone and live peaceably in your country. And that's what I believe. And we both agree on that, Moses. But you somehow think that people like me, a Puerto Rican guy, talking about loving America on the radio is somehow a a shill for Fox News. And I think you're wrong. Anyway, Moses, thanks for your call. Lots of respect to you. Hasta la próxima, America. The music means I got to go. Take care. Good night. And God bless. We're going to do it again on Monday, God willing. And uh, let's get that Dear Richie thing going. See you soon. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge Seasons 1 and 2 of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.